A hacker and even a reporter, thankfully not one of ours, are among those on a new federal advisory panel. The Cybersecurity Advisory Committee held its first meeting this month. It has the task of helping the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency boost U.S. cyber defenses. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday has the latest. CISA is entering its fourth year as a full-fledged component agency under the Department of Homeland Security. The agency's cyber mission has never been more high-profile. With ransomware attacks, an executive order, and other events in 2021, putting CISA at the center of the Biden administration's cybersecurity agenda. Now the agency is turning to the Cybersecurity Advisory Committee to help grow its influence and even reframe some of the challenges that have long beleaguered the security community. The committee's 23 members met for the first time earlier this month. CISA Director Jen Easterly says she doesn't want lengthy reports. She wants actionable recommendations, ideally in the form of short info papers. This is really just not about being a talking club. This is about leveraging your expertise, your perspective, to make the nation safer. At the end of the day, this is really about implementing those things that will help CISA truly be the nation's cyber defense agency. One of the committee's first major tasks is looking at how CISA can transform its cybersecurity workforce. The agency is already harnessing a new hiring and retention program called the Cyber Talent Management System. It launched in November. It's exempt from many of the government's traditional competitive hiring, classification, and compensation practices. Nitin Natarajan, deputy director of CISA, says the agency could use some advice on how to take advantage of the new system to recruit top cyber talent. There's a lot of flexibilities in the system compared to the traditional hiring process. And we're really looking forward to hearing from the expertise around the table on how we can build that pipeline, how we can make sure we're tapping into the right talent, the right diversity of talent, diversity of thought that are going to come into becoming the next generation of not just CISA cyber talent, but subsequently of the nation's cyber talent. Committee members acknowledge it will be tough for the agency to outcompete the private sector on salary and benefits alone. But they agree CISA could offer benefits like student loan relief and strong professional development tracks. Nicole Wong, a consultant and former deputy chief technology officer for the Obama administration, says CISA should have a flat workplace culture where even junior members have access to leadership. And she says CISA should be aware that top cyber talent won't necessarily go along with the government's notoriously slow technology delivery processes. The one thing I would caution, because I think this is the most frustrating thing for people in tech who go into government, is is fast delivery. So as you think about how you scope your projects and your milestones, The folks who work in tech like to be able to deliver quickly. So the sprint process that you're in is really important from a cultural standpoint, but it's important for them as a professional standpoint. And speeding that up and always being aware of that as you manage your workforce is incredibly important. The committee agreed a successful workplace development initiative will result in the private sector poaching talent from CISA rather than vice versa. Ted Schlein is a general partner at venture capital firm Kleiner Perkins. If you come up with what's the metric of success here is anyone in the private sector should covet seeing CISA on the resume of somebody. So if we look out a bunch of years, um, what are we doing here is if you see that CISA logo there on, on somebody's resume, whatever the position was, you, you automatically know that they're of a certain level, of a certain quality, and you covet them. CISA is also looking to the advisory committee to help boost cyber hygiene in both the public and private sectors.
The agency wants to ensure companies are adopting best standards like multi-factor authentication. Eric Goldstein, executive assistant director for cybersecurity at CISA, says he doesn't think most companies are guilty of gross negligence when they get breached. The fact of the matter is today, it is too hard for both network defenders and business executives to make the right decision because we're not giving them the easy path. And the easy path needs to be the pro-security path. And the more that we can both design that and then make it crystal clear and tell that story about how, you know, take the easy path and here's the best words you can avoid and here's the brighter future we'll all see, I think that's the way to drive some, some real impact. Easterly asked George Stathakopoulos, head of the Enterprise Information Security Program at Apple, to lead the cyber hygiene effort on behalf of the committee. He suggests CISA gets focused on a national level goal like eliminating single-factor authentication by 2025. And it should be a common goal. It should be a national goal. It should be supported by money. It should be supported by companies who are willing to put money around it. Tax breaks, incentives, whatever it is, but it should just be one single unifying goal that nobody can argue that it's the wrong thing, right, and just make it happen. The committee's third big mandate is to ignite the hacker community, as Easterly puts it. She says CISA needs to leverage their talent, expertise, and capabilities to reimagine cybersecurity. Easterly tasked Jeff Moss, an American hacker and the founder of the Black Hat and DEF CON conferences, to lead the effort. Moss says CISA will need to avoid using overly militaristic language if the agency wants security researchers on their side. And he says the agency could help provide the community with an avenue into the often opaque world of D.C. policymaking. Moss says CISA could also help strengthen the ability of ethical hackers and security researchers to safely report flaws in products without fear of reprisal. Ultimately, Moss says trust is key to getting hackers, researchers, and academics to contribute to CISA's mission. So if CISA is trying to be this institution, you have to identify trustworthy, outward-facing champions, empower them, and have them become the people through which these communities build personal trusted relationships. And over the years, the reputation will be like, oh, all these great trusted people are at CISA, you can trust CISA. But they're not going to just say, I trust CISA, right? It's always that personal connection. Easterly also tasked the committee with tackling myths and disinformation and coming up with recommendations on how to build resilience in national critical infrastructure. The broad mandate gives the panel a chance to reframe what is possible in the cybersecurity space, according to National Cyber Director Chris Inglis. What we've been doing collectively as a nation has not been working. There are so many issues that we've identified today that we must take on. I think this group can make a serious dent um, in all of that. Justin Doubleday, Federal News Network. Check out Justin's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. 
You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and 
without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, w- WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.